0: I'm Tom Zuba. I'm the guy with the two dead kids and the dead wife. At first, I did grief the old way, and then I discovered a new way to do grief. I'm on my way to becoming radiant. Thanks for joining my podcast today. We're gonna do this thing together. second episode of my podcast called Becoming Radiant. And I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled today to introduce you to, honestly, if I believed in reincarnation, I'm kind of on the fence regarding reincarnation, but this is my twin sister from a past life. I promise you, promise you, promise you, Nancy Saltzman. I'm the guy with the two dead kids and the dead wife. She is the gal with the two dead kids and the dead husband. She is, she is, she is. And in order to be standing, she is what I call a radical survivor, an effing radical survivor. We're gonna get to that, but
1: first, hi, my dear. Hi, Thomas. So nice to see you and be with you, even though we're not like in the same room, but be with you.
0: It's been a long time.
1: Oh well, we got to see you in Chicago. When was that? A couple of years ago, you think? That was your friend's
0: wedding.
1: Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. It's my friend's wedding. It, yeah.
0: And, that and they was-
1: now have a baby. Wait, they now have a baby. So and it's been that, at least a year.
0: No, it was <laughs> probably two. no, two. it was two years because I saw you in Colorado like in August, and then didn't okay. you come like September, October?
1: Yes, it was really September, I think.
0: Yeah. So we yeah. we haven't actually seen each other in two years. No. So I do want you to tell these people how we met, but before we get into that. Tell us about your life on September 6th of 2020. Where do you live? What do you do? What's up with Nancy?
1: Cool. Okay. Um, Today, I am a retired elementary school principal. I had spent 32 years in education, and I loved almost every single minute of it. And my favorite job was being an elementary school principal at a small little elementary in Colorado Springs. So uh, when I retired, I kind of had to figure out a new thing that I was doing. So I did a lot of different things. But at this point, on September 6, 2020, I'm retired other than talking about my book and my life and getting to see friends and reading books. I do a lot of reading of books. And I'm married, and I've been married for since 2014. And I have two little dogs who kind of run my life, kind of like your dog. Um, and so every day I get up and I walk the dogs with a friend or with my husband or with both. And uh, well, Greg's my friend, too. But, uh, and then sometimes I meet a friend for lunch in a park, socially or personally distanced and just hang out and talk, and I'm in several book clubs, so like I said, I'm always reading, and I'm very close to my brothers, so I talk to them on the phone, and I volunteer for an organization called Soaring Spirits, which is a connects widowed people uh, throughout the world, and so I do some volunteer work for them and
0: and if people wanted to find out more information about this organization where would they go
1: www.soaringspirits.org and there it has has amazing website and they can get support of all sorts of different kinds on the website
0: and you have a really really cool funky husband who i have had dinner with on more than one occasion and we That's should give we should give him a name
1: greg <laughs> Should we holler at him and come stick his head in? Yes! Hey Greg?
0: Greg. The, the people what, want, the people want- The
1: to come say hi. Oh, sure. He's coming to say hi. Yeah, the people
0: want to see Nancy's hunk of a husband. He's coming, he's very old. He's very, very old and very, very, so, hey Greg! How are you? How are you? Are you recording this? Yes. We are no. recording this. Did so, you what's mother? happening? No. So, be- before you go, I want to ask three adjectives that would describe your wife to me. She's beautiful. She's caring. She's smart. And. Three adjectives that would describe the life that the two of you have created with each other.
1: Well, I don't know. you got some. It's your turn, I think. Oh. Oh. fun. Magical.
0: (laughs) And kind of miraculous. Oh,
1: yeah. That's a good one. Fun.
0: Magical. Miraculous. Yeah. That somehow we found each other. Absolutely. All right. We're done with you, Greg. Bye. All right. I'm going. Nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. When you write a book, I'll, I'll chat with you, dude. All right. Okay. So this is what I want to remind people. I am talking to the woman with the dead husband and the two dead kids. And this is how she and Greg her husband, her current husband, her fifth husband, shall we
1: We call him my current. Hey, third for me, third for him. Okay, three, three, three. Five, oh, young and divorced, young and divorced, young and widowed, young and widowed, remarried. So okay. Six, yeah. Six, six,
0: okay. They describe their life as fun, magical, and miraculous. So, Nancy, the reason that I'm doing these podcasts is, as you know, I wrote a book. And the subtitle of my first book, thank you, my dear. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The subtitle of my first book is A New Way to Do Grief. A New Way to Do Grief. The subtitle of my second book is A New Way to Do Life. What I'm trying to do is offer an alternative. And I wanna paint pictures. I wanna consciously paint pictures and introduce the world to people like you and Greg, who have done it your own way, a new way, and have created a fun, magical, miraculous life. I want people to know that it's possible. There is a new way to do this. Before we get into that, and before we get into your book, which I absolutely love, as you well know, and it's called Radical Survivor, tell us, tell the folks how you and I met.
1: Well, Tom and I were both at a conference. It was actually, it's called Camp Widow, and it's for widowed people, widows and widowers from all over the world. And we were, were we in Tampa? We met in Tampa or San Diego, or Tampa. My, my first one was in Tampa. Yeah, so it was, I think well, that must have maybe mine too. But anyway, um, well, I did. We just run into each other and start talking. I can't. Remember. I know we went out for dinner that night. I mean, there were a hundred and fifty people there. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. At least, if not more. Yeah. Yes. So so
0: what? What drew the two of us together? Because would you not admit that, like, we instantly hit it off?
1: That's right, because I hadn't gone to your workshop yet or anything. Somehow we were like, and got together. You're right. And then we went out for dinner. And then we started talking. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're
0: right. And then we realized, oh, you're a guy with the dead wife and the two dead kids. I'm the woman with the dead husband and the two dead kids so but that that we didn't know that about each other
1: no we didn't when we first met you're right wow
0: so then the next time that we were at Camp Widow in San Diego it's like we knew each other we made a beeline to each other we had dinner we had drinks we laughed and we laughed and we laughed I sat in on your workshop you sat in on my workshop and we did a
1: lot of giggling yes we did and, but, Tom, I need to show you something, okay? So this is on my desk. Oh, sorry, I got my face so close there. This has been on my desk since I went to your workshop. These are my notes. Would you, it would says, you go, set yeah. the intention. Can I go ahead to that? Set yeah. so, the intention. so how long ago was this? Well, at least five years, maybe six years, right? That's sitting, you could see, I didn't just put it there. It's been sitting there since I went to your workshop because it had such an impact on me.
0: So, yes, if you'd share with us.
1: It says, set the intention, create the vision, identify and commit to focused action. And then the question, what are you doing today to heal? If you say nothing, you aren't healing. Every time Tom took a drink, he would say, I am healing. And I have the question, what do you want to become? That's been sitting on my desk since I met you.
0: Oh, that makes me me feel good. That makes me feel good. That, to me, it really, really does. That gives the breath of my most amazing, unbelievable life. That gives that that all meaning and purpose.
1: Right. So, and, and obviously, I needed to hear that. And it meant a lot to me at that time. And I wrote it down because it meant so much to me.
0: Was that new to
1: you? Yes, absolutely. It was new to me. Yes. And then I bought your book and read your book. And then I got your second book and read your second book. So I. And you can see, I saw a lot of things in there that were important to me, as you can see. Yeah.
0: There's more tabs in the second book I noticed.
1: Yeah. Would you mind
0: opening that second book to one of those tabs and see what pops up
1: for you? This one is the invitation, right at the beginning. To become who you have never been, you must do what you have never done.
0: Don't you think that
1: that's true? Absolutely. I I think everything you say in this book is true, Tom. So in both these books, but for me, totally true.
0: Yes. So, so to become a radical survivor, you had to do what you had never done before. That's correct. So I want to talk about something. We, we have touched on this before, and I'm half joking, but 90% of me is not joking. Half of me is, 90% is not. That's how good <laughs> I am at math. You're an
1: artist. You're an artist.
0: Exactly. I'm an artist. It's that side of my brain. So, so often when we're in a community of people who are living with the death of someone that they love, on a subconscious level or on a conscious level, people rank, you know, which death is the worst. Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Well, it certainly couldn't be a parent. It's not a sibling. So we rank it by relationship. And then we rank it by, oh my God, thank God they didn't die by suicide or a drug overdose because those are the worst and there's so much shame. And then I always stop and say, You know, a a 13-and-a-half-year-old with a terminal brain cancer that gets his left temporal lobe removed, that ain't so pretty either. So my message is, when we compare, we divide. And there are already enough factors dividing us. So what if we just said, it's your pain, it's your death. I honor that, it's your pain. It, but I wanna be really, really honest with you. It, and I am serious, if I had to choose my life or your life as far as the deaths are concerned, I would choose mine. I mean, I would choose mine. I mean, I, I am not absolutely positively sure what I would have done with your life does that make sense to you
1: yes and i said it like this because people will say to me uh oh my god what happened to you is so much worse than what happened to me and i'll say you know grief is grief and loss is loss and a scale of one to the most horrible thing that's going to happen to you we're all over here on the most horrible thing so you can't measure which one is better or worse. And then I say, I just would just just have yeah, I'll just have what I have and I know how to deal with that, and you have what you have and you know how to deal with that. And so for now, I'm just I'm good with what I have to deal with. And I've figured out how to move forward. Does that make sense?
0: It does. So so if God popped in on a screen here or you know, a magical, magical wizard and said, the two of you could have a do-over, and Tom, you could experience what Nancy experienced. Nancy, you could experience what Tom experienced. I would say no, thank you. I'm, right. I'm good with what I got. I'm good with, uh, with uh, hemolytic uremic syndrome, the protein C deficiency, and the glioblastoma. I'm good with that.
1: What would you say? I would say the same thing that you're saying because i know of course i was going to say i i know i can do what i did but knowing what we've both learned we know we could do whatever we needed to do um because for sure we've dealt with other losses that have been very significant and we knew as you say you know by now the tunnel there's a light in the tunnel instead of just at the end of the tunnel, because of our experiences. So, but yes, I, I agree with you. I mean, yes, I, I know how to do this, and I can do this, even if I could do something else.
0: So, are you absolutely convinced that if some god-awful additional tragedy, you know, befelled your life, do you feel like you are equipped to somehow, some way, move through it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, we haven't told my exact story, but when my husband and my two sons died in the small airplane crash, I had had breast cancer twice before that half, before they died. So I think having figured out what to do about my own mortality, um, gave me a clue about what to do about my other losses.
0: So I do, I do want to talk a little bit about your book. Um, however, you have a book. And if people really, really, really want to know the ins and outs oh, yeah. ups and downs, guess what? They should buy the book. So before we do, where did the title Radical Survivor come from?
1: Well, um, it, it's a reference to having breast cancer and having had a mastectomy and then also so being able to survive that. And it's kind of a play on just surviving. Um, did,
0: did you come up with it?
1: No, my editor did.
0: And did you immediate, what was your immediate response to it?
1: I loved it. My original title, my working title was Surviving the Crash. And then I did have somebody say to me, you mean the 2008 economic crash?
0: Oh, there you go.
1: Well, maybe I need a different title.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever heard of the book Radical Forgiveness?
1: I have heard of it, but I haven't read it.
0: It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. It's by a gentleman by the name of Colin Tipping. He passed away probably within the last year or so. It's one of my top like seven books of all time. Really, really taught me a lot. So when and why did you decide that you had the nerve to write a book?
1: Um, I had thought about it when I was going through treatment for breast cancer, actually, because there were so many people who I was learning had breast cancer, and I felt like I could tell them my story and it would help them as they went through their experiences. And I was, um, I was an assistant principal and then a principal. And one of the things that I did was tell stories and I learned that I could be a good storyteller and, you know, inject humor in a serious topic and give people hope. So I sort of had thought about just, Writing about having had breast cancer, and then when my family died, I thought it would be a story again that I could tell the story, and it could give people hope that they could oh they could move forward after a horrible loss. And but it took me a long time to write the book. Um, my family died in 1995, and I didn't finish the book until 2012 because it just took me a long time to be able to write about them. But I think one of the other really motivating things is I loved my family. I loved my husband and I loved my boys and I wanted to write their story so other people could know them as I did. And I just wanted to celebrate their lives and just say how great it was having that family. And then of course, that allowed me to spend a lot of time thinking about them and being with them and remembering things about them. Because you talk about this in your book, a lot of times you just shove stuff down. You don't think about it. You need to go from day to day. And actually after the plane crash, I went right back to work a week later. And that saved my life, I think, as I had a reason to do that. But I really wanted to also celebrate their lives. So I figured even if nobody read the book, at least I got to write about my family and think about the stories. And then there's one more piece that really why I wrote the book. Throughout the book are letters that people wrote to me, and they wrote about how they were feeling. A lot of them started with, I don't have the words to tell you how I'm feeling, but then of course they used beautiful words. And many of the letters were about my family. So throughout my book, I have all these beautiful letters that people wrote to me. So I was able to honor them in that way as well. So it's kind of all of these things. I wasn't a big journaler. um, So that would have really helped me in writing the book. (laughs) So, uh, So I just thought maybe I can give other people hope that they can survive really something that's unthinkable in a lot of ways
0: so when you were preparing to write the book and actually writing the book and kind of walking through your life with your husband with your first child with your second child with the whole family what kind of feelings would come up as you're touching all of that again
1: Um, A lot of it was joy and a lot of it was incredibly sad just because it reminded me of really what a wonderful life I had that was kind of miraculous and fun and so I would spend some time writing and then I would take a little break and then I would spend some more time writing and take a break. Because of all of those emotions together, but the the overarching thing really was joy and and gratitude for having had an amazing family. And you know, I mean, nothing's perfect, obviously, but it was pretty darn close to perfect.
0: I think it's important that we remind people, or maybe let them know for the first time, that joy, gratitude sadness, pain,
1: they can all exist at the same time. It's not- the That's one of my favorite things is, was, um, you know, I will choose peace over pain. I, when you say that in here, uh, I think that is so powerful. I think it took me a while to realize that I could have incredible sadness, but laugh and enjoy myself. And I think, and you mentioned it in here too, I mean, some of it is you feel guilty and people are watching you and you're thinking, well, they're going to think, how can she laugh? Look at this horrible thing that happened to her. Or why isn't she laughing? Shouldn't she be moving forward? So I really appreciate that. I think
0: for a lot of us, especially at the beginning, and the beginning could be six months or three years or 16 years, depending upon the work you're doing, But the fear is, if I'm out in public laughing or having a good time, then the mysterious they, you know, whoever they is, will think, oh, well, Nancy really didn't love her husband that much. She didn't really care about her kids that much. How could
1: she... Oh, I got... Wait, Tom, I had somebody say that to me. You did? I had had somebody, uh, it was one of my teachers, came in my office, and she said, somebody said something to me, and I don't know if I should repeat it to you, which was my first clue I should have said, you should not repeat it. And she said, well, I, I just want to tell you that so-and-so said you must not have loved Joel, Adam, and Seth very much because look how happy you are now. And I was literally sick for 24 hours thinking what a horrible person I was. And really, was there something that mattered with me that I could be so happy after this incredible loss. And then, you know, after about 24 hours, I was like, well, that person's not right. Cause I get to be sad and happy at the same time. Cause I'm always going to be sad. I am never going to get over this loss. Now my boys were 13 and 11 and they would be 38 and 36 this fall. I'm not over it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what what I always ask folks is, what does get over it? What does that look like to you? What does that mean? Are you over it yet? You I
1: know, yeah, I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, it's and I, you, you, also are, you articulate it so well. Is you're you're not who you were. So if they mean get over it so you can go back to who you were, you you can't go back to who you were. That's just not possible. So, Has has anyone ever
0: asked you, I always love this,
1: hey, Nancy, do you ever think of them anymore? I get that, but I think what's better is when people say, I didn't bring them up because I didn't want to remind you. It's like, oh, well, I haven't forgotten about it. How often
0: would you say that you think about Joel, Adam, and Seth?
1: I think about them every day for some some reason. And, um, you know, it's interesting because you talk in your books about signs and having a relationship. I totally believe you continue your relationship, but I never really thought I had any signs from them. And then I heard you speak about that, and I just loved it so much because you said, well, one, what's the downside of thinking you're seeing a sign? And I'm like, I don't think there's not a downside. <laughs> I want to see signs, and I want to think they are around me, and and uh, so... I really wasn't looking for signs until I heard you talk about it. So that was probably 15 years uh, longer. I I was kind of afraid. I was afraid of it. I thought people who saw signs maybe were hallucinating. (laughs) And I did go with a friend to psychics because she really didn't want to connect. And I went, but I always kind of felt like um, I don't know that they know what they're talking about. And so you help me kind of reframe that into, well, of course they're here, of course my relationship is continuing, why not? Um, Look for those signs.
0: I always say to folks when someone says to me, oh, that really resonates, or oh, that really helped me, that helped me broaden my horizons, I always say, well, then you have to become the teacher. It's like, how else are the others gonna know? How else are the others gonna know? If we don't talk about it, then people don't know that there's an alternate way of being. Right. This is what I also say. I do believe that the essence of who we are is eternal. I do. It's a choice that I make and I'm not telling anyone else what to believe. Do I believe that Rory and Trish and Aaron can communicate with me through signs? I do. I absolutely do. Do I believe I'll be reunited with them when I leave my body? I do. Those are all choices that I make. They make me feel better while I'm walking this planet. And, you know, someone will say, well, none of, what if none of that's true? What if none of that's true? Well, then when I die, if I don't cease to exist anymore, what do I
1: care? I don't care. Right. I, I know. Th- and I heard you say that and it really resonated with me because I'm not, uh, you know, I wasn't raised religiously We're or- uh, my both my parents were Jewish and we considered ourselves Jewish but we didn't practice we, we didn't go to temple or anything like that but this is just so different than the way I think I thought of it
0: well and and to me it has very little to do with religion I mean I don't re- I was raised Catholic but I certainly don't consider myself you know a strict religious Catholic I consider myself an awake human being who's kind of paying attention to what's happening. Um, You live, I mean, from your Facebook posts in a beautiful area and you and Greg and the dogs are outside in nature a lot. And that is so healing. And I think when you're outside walking like you guys walk, if you're not open to the possibility that there's something more than just us, then you're not paying attention.
1: Right. I would agree. Absolutely. And, uh, yes, it's just it being outside and being with the dogs and walking in Colorado Springs and the mountains. Um, yes, it's just healing. It's fulfilling. It's... You're getting messages all the time.
0: So, can you? Do you have a copy of your book right there? Can you show folks what it looks like and tell them where they can get it?
1: It's me. <laughs> uh, of course, you can. You can get it on Amazon. That's probably the easiest. It's auto It's an audible book. I read it, and it's an ebook, and it's also a paperback. Okay. So, very so, easy to get. You just. Go on Amazon and put in Radical Survivor or my name, and you'll find it.
0: Radical Survivor. It's
1: really cool because it has, not only does it have the letters throughout, but it also has cool pictures.
0: (laughs) Well, here's a picture
1: of my family.
0: Beautiful. That's Joel Adam
1: South. Right. And their last name was Herzog because, you know, I'm a feminist, so I didn't change my name.
0: Spell their last name for us.
1: Their last name is Herzog, H-E-R-Z-O-G, and I am Saltzman.
0: So how do you feel? How would it feel? I, I want folks to read the book. I want folks to read the whole story, beginning, middle, and end. But how would it feel if you told us about that day?
1: Well, it was um, my family, my husband owned a tennis shop, Joel owned a tennis shop, and one of the things he liked to do was go to tennis tournaments, and so he thought it would be great to go to the Davis Cup in Las Vegas, and he had a friend who rented a plane and said, if you get me tickets to the Davis Cups, I'll fly you guys to the tennis tournament." And so that was all set up, but it was September, it was the beginning of school, and I wasn't gonna go. And I realized it was gonna be Seth's birthday while they were gone. So I asked the pilot, Greg, uh, Joel's friend, if I could go. And he said, no, there was no room on the plane. So I just flew to Las Vegas on a commercial flight after they were already there. Had one of those amazing weekends you have with your family. Uh, lots of love, and tickling, and laughter, and fun, celebrating Seth's birthday, he, um, so, he, yeah, so he had just turned 11, and Adam was going to turn 13 two weeks later, so we had a great time, wonderful time, and then on Sunday, I had to fly home on the commercial flight, and Seth asked if he could come with me, and Joel said, no, you're staying with me, we're going to go watch the tennis, and that's fine. I'll see you guys at home. So I flew into Colorado Springs on a commercial flight. It was raining. So I thought, well, they probably won't fly back today or they'll stop or something like that. But I got home and there was a message on my recorder. And Joel said, hi, um, it's about 3.30 and we're getting ready to get on the plane. And we're going to fly to Colorado Springs and we should get there about 7 o'clock. And so we'll see you at home a little after 7 So I just went into school. It was a Sunday, but I had a lot of work to do. So I went into school and did some work. And this was before cell phones. So I would call home and check the message recorder. Starting about 7, I started checking the recorder. And there were no messages. So I um, kept working. About 8 o'clock, I started to get kind of anxious about the fact that I hadn't heard from them. So I decided to go home because I thought maybe they would be home. So I went home from school and I kind of just busied myself and uh, about 10 o'clock the phone rang and I assumed it was going to be Joel. And it was a guy who identified himself um, from emergency services in Denver. And he said, I'm just calling you because we have a couple of small planes down in Colorado and Wyoming and we can't find your husband's plane. And I said, you know, do you know anything really do you know something and he said no we really don't we haven't found the planes but it was such bad weather that they couldn't they had a plane locator and they had one locator so they knew where the planes were but they i don't know how this works but we know from geometry or (laughs) what they had this one but they didn't have this one to find the plane And he said, we have a satellite and it'll pass by at midnight and we'll call you as soon as we know something. And then he said, "Um, are you religious? And I said, no. And he said, well, I don't want you to be alone. Do you have somebody you could call? And again, I said, do you know something? And he said, no, we really don't. So I called my best friend and she came over. Now it's like 1030. And we knew we had to wait until after midnight and so we just sat around talking about everything except if they had died in a plane crash. <laughs> like if they did crash, we would go get them. They would not be that far away. We would just have to drink coffee and drive to there to get them, and everything would be fine. So uh because Joel was in great shape. He was like 40 and in great shape. So we just figured they would be fine. And after midnight, then of course we got the call and The same person said to me, I'm so sorry to tell you, there were no survivors. And I remember saying to him, those were the most beautiful boys. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm sure they were, ma'am. I'm sure they were. And then the collapsing on the floor and the crying. And then all of a sudden the realization that, Every kid I knew who went to the school where my kids went would be going to school the next day. And so I had to get up and call my boss. Well, of course, I called my family first. Told them what was going on so they could all get on airplanes and fly to Colorado. Then call my boss, who called the teachers and then I went to bed because I thought if I go to bed, I'm going to find out this is a bad dream and I'm going to get up the next morning and everything's going to be fine. And I've talked to other people and they said they did the same kind of thing.
0: Well, what was the, I know it was 1995. What was the actual date? September what?
1: September 24th, the day after Seth's birthday, which was September 23rd.
0: Do you remember getting up the next day?
1: I do. What was that? I I remember getting up the next day and actually Donna, my friend, stayed with me. She stayed. She said she she lay in bed next to me. I went to sleep. She said she lay there like this all night. Um, I just remember getting up and the doorbell rang. It was like uh, 530 or 6 in the morning. And it was some friends Uh, Good friends of Joel's, um, both actually social worker and a psychologist. And I opened the door and I said, oh, hi, Larry and Barb. (laughs) And they came in and uh, I looked at Larry and I said, hi, Larry, am I in shock? And he said, yes, you're in shock. And then Barb said, um, something that would be really good is, we get the names of Adam and Seth's best friends and call them before they go to school so they will not hear the news when they get to school. And I said, oh, that's a really good idea. And I went and I got the phone, she was gonna do it. And I said, oh, no, no, I'll, I'll call. So I called their parents, told them what happened so that they could talk to their kids before their kids went to school. And then from that point on, my house was just like Grand Central Station. So news cameras, friends, that whole day was just people coming.
0: This couple that were the first people you talked to, how did they hear of the news?
1: Well, I think that's a really interesting thing because I did go back and try to uh find out. It was actually on the news first thing in the morning um, because, well, it was Homer and his wife and then Joel, Adam and Seth. And, you know, actually, I don't know how the news stations got it. I mean, maybe it was on a police radio. (laughs) I actually have no idea. And then, of course, well, probably also... Because my superintendent was calling all the teachers. So I called him at 1.30 in the morning. And then he called. They did the stupid snow tree when you call somebody. And then they call somebody else. So by the end of that, people thought I was also dead. That Seth had survived. It was really, that was not the best way to notify people. So I'm sure that those people started telling other people. And that's... And once the tennis somebody from the tennis community knew about it, because Joel in the tennis shop, they all called each other and then we were part of the hockey community. So I just think it it was probably the most shocking news that most people had ever heard at that time. Do you, yes.
0: do you remember when the reality of what had happened? kind of actually startled to settle in and and you're saying to yourself my husband's dead and both of my children are dead like when did that begin to feel really real to you
1: i don't know not for a long time i don't think I mean, I knew the reality of it. I mean, I knew it was true and I wasn't denying. I was not saying it's not true, but I think, I don't know, probably months and months.
0: One of the things that I write about, I know I write about this, a lot of the stuff that I write about, I can't actually remember, but I believe that if the breadth and the scope of what happened to you or what happened to me or the next person or the next person, if that came crashing in on us at once, I literally don't think we would survive.
1: Yes, it's in both your books.
0: Yeah, so it's like we let it in, small dose, small dose, small dose. I've told this story before, it was three or four It might have been five years after my daughter Erin died. I was working for the Cancer Society back in the day we had secretaries and I went out for lunch. And when I came back from lunch, there would be a stack of pink slips, you know, who called me, what was their number, what did they want? There was a pink slip that my father had called. Nancy, my my immediate thought was, they found Aaron. they found her, they found her, oh my Lord. And then the reality set in. I'm not kidding you, that was between three to five years. But once I got it, once I was like, oh my Lord. You no, know, she's not coming through the door. It's not if I hold on for six more months, I'll get her back. <laughs> You know, all those games that I played with myself. Once I got it, I, 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 the only word I could think of is finality. It's like the finality of her physical death. I will never, ever, 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 ever see my little baby girl again. Once I got it, when Trish died, I didn't have to relearn it. I was like, oh, shit. I will never, ever, ever. And when Rory was diagnosed with the glioblastoma, that's why I tried to move heaven and earth. I was like, as God is my witness, I am not letting this kid go. I am not letting this kid go. I am not letting this kid go. Um, does any of that resonate with you?
1: I, yes, I think it does. Because I had so many losses after my family died. I mean, you know, those people who say to you, nothing bad will ever happen to you again because this did. Yeah, that that doesn't make you not have any more of them. I mean, my sister died in her sleep at age 55. My best friend died in a car accident. Yeah, so yes, I think understanding the finality of it, yes. i never really thought about that way, but yes, I, I think that's very accurate
0: so you shared with us that you had had breast cancer twice that second time you got breast cancer was there a part of you that thought well this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me
1: oh yeah yeah I did in fact that time that when it came back I actually thought it might kill me the first time we were kind of like okay, yeah, you have surgery and you, you know, you take care of it and you're okay. And then when it came back, it was like, is this is really serious. <laughs> it's trying to kill me. And uh, so it was much scarier, actually, And then I had chemo and radiation and all that at that time. So
0: as you reflect back, Did those two bouts with breast cancer, did that prepare you in any way? Did it give you any knowledge or wisdom or tools to deal with the death of your entire family?
1: The thing that I learned that I think helped me was I had to learn patience because when you're diagnosed with cancer, or at least breast cancer, I think this is still true, they give you all these options and then you can't mostly you don't get things right away. You have to wait a while and then you have to wait to see this doctor. And then you have to wait to see that doctor. You can't, you don't get answers right away. And then when it came back, I had to do I I had chemo for six months and then you had to wait and all my hair, you know, is bald and I wasn't going to, get my hair back for a year, and so I just had to learn to be patient and not be very patient with myself, and I think that was the one thing that was helpful as I was going through learning how to live with the the death of my husband and children, so it just made me much more patient. Does that make sense?
0: Totally, totally. And um, th- I mean, that really is a gift, if we can use the word gift, of the two experiences with breast cancer. Right.
1: Oh, I agree. It
0: was a gift. Because I don't think when someone that we love dies, I don't think most people are very patient. I mean, they, you know, they want to move through it as quickly as possible and get well, to the other no, side.
1: You don't, yeah, you don't want to have that, you don't want to feel that. And you talk a lot about that in the book and you're not going to be able to move forward if you're not feeling. And and I mean, I think it's really human to not be, you can't feel it. Like you said, you can't feel it all at one time. You have to take little parts of it and deal with the parts and the parts and the parts and do what you can.
0: Did you ever think it would have been so much easier if it, just would have been the boys or if it just would have been Joel or if it just would have been Joel and one of the boys.
1: Um what I thought was I have to do this by myself and if I would have had Joel to go through it with you that would have just been I wish he had And then I would think, oh, my God, I would never want him to have to go through this. I don't want him to have to have lost, had him have his children die. I I would not. It would have torn him up. Would he have been able to survive it? Yes. So I was kind of all over the place. Then I would think, well, if one of the boys had survived, that would have been so great for me. I never would have let him leave home. I would never let them go to school. I would never let them play hockey. I would never let them go to college. I would think that kid would be so messed up because I would never let them do it. I mean, no, yes, I thought everything all over the place, but it was the one thing that I did think is, um, I had to do that by myself, and even though I had an incredible support from my family. They didn't have to wake up every day in an empty house. Um, they didn't have to figure out how to go through each day. They were sad, and they were missing my family, but um, it's not the same.
0: No, the, it, it wasn't 24-7 for them. Yeah. Did you ever think, oh, I wish Joel had lived and I had been killed with the boys?
1: Sure. Absolutely.
0: And did you run the scenario, damn, how come I wasn't on that plane with them?
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I did. I really did.
0: So in your telling of the story, the reality of what you lived through, you know, if there would have been one more seat on that plane, you would have been with them. And if Joel wouldn't have said to your son, no, you're staying here, he would have flown home with you. You know, so it's like you were so close to a different version of what happened. Right. How do you, how do you like reconcile or how do you make peace with the way that it actually did unfold. The three of them, you know, get to leave the planet at the same time. Isn't that, to me, that sounds exciting. You know, I have a vision of Joel grabbing Seth, Joel grabbing Adam, you know, and they just, and here's Nancy, you know.
1: Okay, great. Well, I, I think that's so interesting that you say that because I've certainly thought of that and not only in the, where are they now but they're together and how great that is but that when they died it was a violent death but they were together and, and even though we don't really know I mean, they flew into an ice storm and then I think the pilot got disoriented and so he didn't know where it was and they hit a tree and they were rejected so they died of massive head injuries but I'm convinced that Joel was telling them jokes they couldn't see, right? It was dark and they couldn't see. So they didn't know that they were going to hit anything. And even if they were scared, he would have been holding them. He actually had to step on his lap because there were four seats and there were five people. So I'm comforted by the fact that I think he was comforting them. We'll never know. But why would I believe anything else? And that they are together. Um, now... I certainly went through some weird things thinking about Seth and how he wanted to come. And he actually, on the plane was his journal and he'd written in it, I had a great birthday except for the plane ride." Now, he told me he loved being on the plane but there was no bathroom, there were no Cokes and there were no snacks. So I know that was one of the reasons why he didn't want to be on the plane. But when I first read that, I thought, oh my God, did he know? And I don't think that was written as they were crashing. (laughs) Um, And I did think about how wonderful it would be, really, if he was with me and how my life would be different. But I also believe that... We don't, you know, we don't, I don't believe that there was a plan that they would crash. I don't think, I don't believe any of that. Although people did tell me that God needed my children more than I did. And that's why they died. But um, I really believe we're here. And while we're here, uh, we need to make a difference. And I know people say things happen for a reason. I don't believe that. I think you make reason out of bad things that happen to you. And a really bad thing happened. And I'm here so that I can give other people hope and just say, you know, bad things are going to happen and we're going to do it the best we can to to impact other people's lives in a positive way. And you get to
0: consciously choose how you're going to interpret what happened. And you have chosen a path of peace.
1: Right.
0: So you said you said you. I wrote it down. You said I thought it might kill me. You were talking about the second time with the breast cancer. So your entire family vanishes one day. Were there times when you thought that that would kill you too?
1: You know, I don't know that I ever. Thought it would kill me. I certainly, like you said, thought if I died, that might be okay. Um, I thought I, I did think about um, taking my own life, but not seriously. I I honestly loved being alive, and I loved being part of the family. And I couldn't reconcile how I could have had that life and have that much happiness, and then just have my my life end after that happened. It was kind of um, I like life. I like being alive. I mean, not every second of every day, and, but. I like, you know, like you described it, I like getting up in the morning and walking my dogs and looking at the mountains. You know, at that time, going to school and seeing all the kids at school. I liked being alive.
0: I, I think it's important, I mean, I talk about this quite frequently, that we come out and say, yes, the thought of suicide did enter my mind. Now, did I create a plan? I didn't. Um, I just heard from someone today, and I I wonder if we all do this, you know, driving my car on a freeway, thinking all I have to do is go like this, and it could be over for me. I think that's normal. Do you?
1: Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did think... (laughs) He's like, well, with my luck, you know, I would try to throw myself in front of a truck, but I would only be hurt. I wouldn't be killed. I could take drugs, but I'd wake up and have like my right arm wouldn't work, but I'd still be alive. And it's like, oh, it just, yeah. yes, I definitely thought about it. Uh, and I think people do, and it makes sense.
0: And and, and I think that that is testimony to how unbelievably really indescribable unless you've lived it. The experience is, you know, the pain and the darkness and the confusion and the hopelessness. I, I think what I wanted, I just wanted out. I wanted an escape from all of that. And I didn't really think, particularly after Aaron died, I didn't really think that there was an escape hatch that I would be able to somehow You know create a new life for myself
1: well it's interesting because when i was an assistant principal um that one of my favorite students his name was randy he was in eighth grade and he did attempt um taking his own life and he lived with a single mom and when he came back to school i met with him and i said randy I need you to talk to me about this and what you were thinking, because, you know, you would have left your mom here and it would have been really bad. And he said, Dr. Saltzman, I just need to tell you that I had so much pain that I was just trying to stop the pain. And I thought that is, that is so interesting. I, I understand what he was saying. Of course, I hadn't had really any losses or I guess maybe my father had had cancer, but it was just kind of clicked and I've always remembered that. And I do think that's what happened was I was having so much pain after they died that I would have loved to stop the pain, but I didn't really think I ending my own life would be the best choice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: My experiences after two weeks, you know, two months, if we're lucky, the message out there is you know move along you know that was then this is now be happy please stop talking about it and the, the breadth and the scope of what happens to us is minimized by the culture still and as a result, I think, for me personally, I mean, I felt more and more alone and more and more isolated. And back in the day, social media isn't what it is today. And I I actually did think I was the only one. And I thought, if I'm the only one and this is it for the rest of my life, I think I would rather just leave on my own accord. Do you think that that's changed
1: much? Um. I would say yes and no. And the reason why I think it's changed some is because of Facebook. And I think that because of Facebook, people have been able to honor their loved ones and talk about them and people respond. It's very different than, you know, when you went through your, you know, all your losses you couldn't just go on Facebook and say, I'm feeling sad. Um, and I just want to talk about my wife right now. I'm just going to write some things. Now, if you do that, I mean, not everybody, but people who don't want to respond don't respond. But there's always somebody who will write back and say, oh, gosh, tell me more, or thank you for posting this picture, or I didn't know your kids, but I would love to hear more about them. And, you know, 25 years for me. I'm surprised actually more people don't say it's 25 years, enough already. You know, the response I get a lot is um, just what I said. Thank you. I think it's so great that you continue to honor your family in this way. So I think you're always going to have people who are going to say not those things, but there's certainly more opportunity to people to share. I mean, I've shared the things that you've written in your book with so many different people. And I think, I know they've appreciated it. And I'm not sure, we're so concerned about how someone's gonna perceive what we say that people don't do it. And I just learned that you just need to do it. And if they want to ignore it, they can, but, Pretty much I never have that. Anybody. So I would say um, people are more open to talking about it. And I think more people are more patient. Now, I have to caveat that by saying a lot of the people I'm friends with on Facebook are widowed people. So <laughs> I'm getting that response from widowed people um, or people who know me. I'm not sure how it's affecting other people and They maybe would like to say, we don't want to see these pictures anymore. But luckily, I haven't seen that.
0: So if there's someone out there that's listening and they're kind of on the fence, should I go public with what I'm feeling today on Facebook or Instagram or wherever? Your suggestion, and I agree with it, would be take a deep breath, take a risk. And yes, rather than do grief the old way and keep it in, Get it out and see what the response from the world actually is. But I would also say, remember that anyone's opinion of you is actually none of your business. I love that. So, you know, whatever they have to say, anyone that says anything negative or hurtful or painful, that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them.
1: Right. Right. And, you know, we learned how to do that because people did say you, people said things to you, people said things to me. Uh, yes. We've heard, yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I allowed myself to be hurt over and over and over again. You know, and one of the things that finally dawned on me is, shit, I have suffered enough. I'm, I'm not going to allow anyone to hurt me anymore. I mean, it's right out of one of my favorite books, The Four Agreements. Take nothing personally. Take nothing personally. Um, this is one of the things that I think you and I probably have in common. I
1: can't
0: sit. Well, how, how many years were you and Joel married?
1: Let's see, we were married, this is great, we met in 79, married in 81, and he died in 95, so, what's that, 14 years?
0: Okay, that's interesting. Trish and I were married 13 and a half years, so we were married about the same amount of time. I just uh, saw someone on Facebook, they're celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary.
1: Greg's mom and dad.
0: I mean, I, I can't fathom what it would be like to have had 60 years, you know, sitting across the table, having a glass of wine with my wife, Trish. I can't imagine what that would be like. And and one of the things that I'm aware of is I don't have anyone to sit and talk to and say, remember when Aaron was born? Remember her first word or that first Christmas? Or now, what did we get Sean for his third birthday? Was that the birthday where we had this cake or we had that cake? Or oh my God, remember Rory's first day of Christmas? It's like that that does not exist in my life, and I think so many people take that for granted. My family. God love all of them, except for my mom and one and a half siblings, rarely, if ever, mention my people's names. And they're certainly not going to sit down and have a long in-depth conversation about remember when, remember when. What has that been like for you?
1: I think when I realized that, it was probably one of my saddest moments um I can't remember when it happened but I remember it happening and maybe it was when people were sitting around and telling stories and I realized I don't have my person to do that and just how sad that was because that's a lot of what we do As we get together at Thanksgiving we all tell stories of everything you know that ever happened and memories and I think part of writing the book was my way to do that Um, you know looking through pictures and just trying to recreate the memories and maybe asking my brothers what they remembered but yeah I think that's a huge sadness and you know, as you get older, you forget more and more and you can't just check. And it's, I just, I just, yes, it's huge.
0: Yeah. So again, I want to bring that out in the open. And if that is what you're experiencing, you're not alone. This is the story that I'm telling myself. I don't know if it's true or not, but my thoughts are that if Trish was still alive, I could, we got married in 85, so since 85, we did like to sit at the dining room table, we would have a cup of tea after dinner every night, and then we would have a glass of wine, you know, on the weekends. And, and we love, obviously, we love to talk, and we would have told the stories over and over and over again through the years. Remember this, remember that, remember that. And I think that that helps cement those memories in our brain. So for 20 years, I have not had that. And my memories, it's the truth, and I've surrendered to it, but my memories are fading, and they're fading, and they're fading. I don't have the recall over those, you know, Details of raising my children that I'm assuming that other moms and dads might have because of the fact that they've reinforced it over and over and over and over again. Right.
1: Plus, I think just having those conversations is so much fun. So we we kind of we don't get to have that. But I will tell you one thing that I've been doing is I did. Did you ever have one of those big video cameras and take movies of your kids? So I have it all on VHS tape, and I've learned how to transfer it onto my computer. So I have watched about three or four hours, and I'm up to the kids being about uh, four and six. And it's hard to watch. But it's also wonderful for this exact thing that you're talking about is that I look at myself interacting with the kids and I think, oh my gosh, I was a good mom. Oh my gosh, I actually listened to them. Oh my gosh, Joel just was a fabulous father. I mean, I have video of him. I pan over to him and he looks at the camera and he says, I love you. And he tells Seth on the ski lift to yell at me, Mom, you're a fox. And it was just like, I haven't, this is almost 25 years I haven't watched these. And it was, it's bringing back some of those memories that I don't, I don't have at all. And so... You've never,
0: you've never ever watched them until recently?
1: I, when I, what I did was a couple of years after... The plane crash. I sent them all somewhere because they were all those weird little ones, and the and yeah. had them all transferred to VHS tape. And I just never watched them. I I don't know if as I I don't know if I was afraid or I just didn't ever make the time or um,
0: but so what? what did you have to buy now to be able to view them on your computer? I
1: don't have it here. All it is is. I have a VHS player you plug into that and you plug into your computer and you go to QuickTime player and you watch them right on there and I can make little clips I was even like I had a couple clips my my aunt just died and I had some clips of my aunt on there but I sent them to my cousin because they can be like 10 second clips they can be 20 minutes so you don't want to do 20 minutes because then you, it's hard to send them but yeah it's tom do you have some of those
0: i, I have the huge stack the same as you do the, but but i have watched them over and over and oh, over, and, you over have? and over oh you know what you know what everybody everybody responds differently but after each one of them died I would literally sit in front of my television and watch them over and over and over again. I love I, the sound of their voice.
1: I have no idea why I didn't. I really don't. I, I Now I wish I had, but, oh.
0: So Rory's 29th birthday was um, July 24th. 29. And Sean, who's now 25, came over we watched the videos, watched them over and over and laughed and laughed and laughed. Yeah, it, it, it was wonderful. I love knowing that I can, you know, somehow get them on here and then manipulate them. I mean, that's, that's a great project during the pandemic. Thank you, Nancy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so. Let me, go ahead. No,
0: no. Let me ask you this. Um, I don't know say in year 3 in year 4 in your in year 5 did you ever think in 2020 you would say I have a fun magical miraculous life
1: um I would have said it I am because I was trying to envision that. This is what I thought I loved being married, and I wanted to find somebody married or not. I mean, I didn't care, but I wanted to fall in love again. Now, did I really believe it was going to happen? No, I don't think so. I just wanted it to happen. I definitely thought about it. I thought I, I had done it, and I could do it again. Uh, so I probably was all over the place with that. I wanted it, but I'm not sure I believed it was going to happen.
0: What, when, do you remember, it's like, when, when were you able even to start wanting
1: it? Oh, well, I think I wanted it almost immediately. I really did. I wanted it. I wanted to have a relationship with somebody.
0: So I, I think one of the things that's different in my experience, in your experience, like I said, I mean, your family completely vanished one day. So uh, would you say to yourself, I loved having a husband. I loved being part of a family. I want that again. I want that again. I want that again. Did that kind of drive you?
1: Yeah, I mean, so much so that I, you know, remember I was a principal at the elementary school. So I told all the moms at my school, what I saw every day, that I wanted to date anybody they knew who was single, who they would recommend. And so they would <laughs> give me names of men. And I would call the men, not all at the same time, obviously, and ask them to go out for coffee and or something i i mean i don't drink so i could probably say do you want to go out for a drink but then i wouldn't drink anything but um and i would meet them and i would know pretty early on you know that it wasn't going to be right and i would learn how to say um it's really nice meeting you but i don't want to go out with you again that was hard cuz i'm a people pleaser so i had to learn some new skills um But I knew pretty, pretty soon whether, and that was, see, I did that for a few years. And then uh, I met a guy and I dated him for two years. And, you know, I pretty much knew it wasn't going to work out, but it was nice being with him. And then I met another guy and dated him for a couple of years. Both these guys were a lot younger than I was. And, um, And, you know, the whole having children thing was complicated because of the breast cancer I'd had a hysterectomy so I couldn't have any more children and when Joel died I was I think 41 and um and then having dating somebody who had children was very complicated and so there were all those complications meanwhile but I I really did I mean I wanted to try people on and see if it would work out
0: so right. how, how soon after Joel died did you start putting the word out, I want to meet good men?
1: I think it was probably a year, if that long.
0: And, and, and you were open to getting in a relationship with a man who did have kids?
1: Um, I thought I was. Um, and I ended up. Mary and Greg who has a son and it was extremely complicated for me. Uh, I think I know a lot of people are in blended families and it has worked. I mean I was a principal. I watched it happen all the time and I think it was complicated but people made it work. I think for me I didn't realize it was it was just hard because I wanted my own kids back. And Greg's son, who's a delightful person now, (laughs) was a teenager and he moved in with us when he was 15 and uh, he has a mom and she had certain ideas about how we should be raised and he'd never lived with Greg full-time and all of a sudden he moved in with us full-time so he could go to the high school near us. And Greg has a very different parenting style than I do. I was, you know, a principal and a teacher and I'm liberal person but more conservative in parenting and it caused some issues for us definitely because i was not his mom and he had a mom but he was living with us so that was an interesting time
0: how old is greg's son now
1: he's 27
0: i think so so he's younger than your boys
1: yes right
0: and how would you describe your relationship with him today
1: It's great. He's a wonderful kid. I love talking to him. We've hung out together. We've, you know, we've traveled together. We've even traveled with Jordan's mom and extended family.
0: What what does Jordan call you?
1: Nancy. My dad's, he called me my dad's girlfriend for a long time. (laughs) Sometimes he calls me his stepmom, but mostly he just introduces me as, this is Nancy. Or now, this is my dad's wife, you know.
0: So what if there's somebody listening thinking, "Oh my god, she's got a fun magical miraculous life that'll never ever 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 happen to me." What what would how would you respond to that?
1: I would say that it can happen for you and I think that we just never know what's gonna happen. I and mean, you could meet somebody tomorrow who is somebody you wanna be with. You could meet somebody a year from now who's somebody you wanna be with. Um, I think, I mean, I have friends who say that, and they're never ever gonna meet somebody. Um, and I think if you think you are never gonna need somebody, it might be more likely that you won't meet somebody. Obviously, I went into it thinking, I am going to meet somebody. I want to meet somebody.
0: Um, did you I, did you kind of have a picture of the type of guy that you wanted to meet?
1: I think I would, yes, I did. And Greg is not that. Um, my physical type always was more kind of, well, Tom Zuba. Great shape good looking. Thank you, Nancy. I, 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 yeah,
0: I didn't mean, I didn't necessarily mean, you know, a physical picture, but
1: like, no, that, but that's what I had. I had a physical picture. In oh, fact, okay. the first, yes, the first two guys I dated were very similar physically to Joel. He, not in short. Joel is five, maybe six. Greg is six, four. Um, and the guys I dated were taller than that, but So I was definitely looking for a physical type, maybe not not absolutely consciously, but I I definitely was looking for a physical type. Um, And I wanted someone who, I remember saying this, I was always Joel's top priority. Um, And when we had kids, then the kids and I were all his top priority. More important than business, more important than playing tennis, more important than anything else I've never met anybody like him that way and I had said to my best friend I just want to be somebody's top priority now interestingly enough that's not really true with Greg so I mean he and I have talked about this um and so I guess I wasn't paying enough attention to that when I met Greg so, and, and uh, you know, it's actually, I'm laughing about it, but it was, it was really quite wonderful to be with someone who made me the most important thing in his life.
0: How, how long have you and Greg been married?
1: So we got married in uh, 2014 and we met in 2003. So we dated for 11 years. Or, you know, we, we met each other and we moved in together in 2006, 2005, end of 2005.
0: So wh- why did you finally, after 11 years, decide to get married?
1: Um, it was partly a financial thing. I mean, Greg, Greg likes being married and Greg likes being with someone. And so I met Greg. Greg is widowed. And I met Greg three months after his wife died. And a million people said it's too soon for him. But I can tell you, he does not like to be alone. And if I die, there's a whole bunch of widowed people out there that he'd probably be dating and get married. He would get married again.
0: Yeah, there's one in particular that I know has designs on him, so be careful.
1: You have to tell me after the show who it is, unless I'll, I'll give you the initials.
0: That's not true. That's not true.
1: So but anyway, so um so we we dated uh for a long time because I wasn't sure I wanted to get married again. I didn't really think there was a you know it was necessary. And like I was joking in the beginning, I was married young and divorced, and I was married and widowed. And then (laughs) i've been married again um so and also some of it was financial because if greg got married he would not get some of the income that he would that he was getting because his wife died and she was in the military and he was too but so he was getting some income and if he got married before he was 57 and a half he would lose that income so that was an another reason
0: so, so regardless of whether or not you guys actually got married, you have been together since 2003. Yes. So Greg Roman must have some endearing qualities. So yes. I guess what I want to know is what is I've it about...
1: Been writing them down lately. Wait.
0: Yeah, no, what, what is it about this guy? What is it about... This guy, why did you say yes to him? Why has he been around you for so long?
1: You know, he has a very special personality. He is like a cork on the top of the water. So he's always floating up here and happy. So he brings that into every situation. I have a quote that it says, it's okay to wake up laughing. And, it's, that's kind, and I have that quote up because sometimes that's not how I wake up, but he really does wake up thinking about all the wonderful things he's going to get to do and how much he loves life and how he's happy to be doing all the things that he does. And so I think that's very attractive. It can be frustrating because sometimes you want to punch him because... He'll, he he does not necessarily have total understanding of what it's like to have significant loss that I have. Um, And he is heart breaks for me when he knows I'm sad. It's very hard for him. So that's one thing, he's very engaging. He's very handsome and he likes to do a lot of fun things. He likes doing the things I do like he likes walking with the dogs. He loves the dogs as much as I love the dogs. And we like talking about politics and family. And um, I, I have a high value for family. And he loves his mom and dad, and they live here. And we're, you know, Saturday night, last night, we were eating dinner at their house and playing dominoes. And both of my parents have, have died. So it's really nice to me to be. It, that's truly really nice to be part of that family. Um,
0: so, so you 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 said sometimes with Greg, you want to punch him. Yes. I, I want to make this really, really clear. I'm 5'10". He's 6'4". Never, <laughs> ever, ever have I wanted or do I expect to want to punch him? I just want to get that on the record. I do not want to punch Greg. I don't. Okay, Greg, I don't want to punch you. Never
1: yeah okay we got that (laughs) so let me
0: ask you this when you think about greg and when you think about being with him how does that make you feel like talk about what it feels like to be greg's wife what does that feel like
1: um it it feels comforting, and it—I it, would say it makes it makes me happy. It makes me be able to relax. It makes me feel comfortable with my feelings, um, and I think it's taken us—it's taken us a while to get there because. You know, the fact that my family died is never going to not be true. It's always going to be true. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that I have him to be with me during those times. Sometimes it's frustrating, like I said, because he doesn't understand or he doesn't want to understand or he doesn't want to hold that pain, which I I understand. He doesn't want to feel the pain. So sometimes I just have to go through things on my own and not expect him to be able to do that. Does that make sense?
0: Totally, totally, totally. Do you think that Anyone on the planet could ever really understand what it's like to be Nancy, whose husband and two kids vanished one day?
1: I actually do.
0: You do? Uh,
1: I actually do um, at least have a pretty good idea. And that's because of, because... I lost my family, and it was such a shocking thing to so many people. If they ever heard about somebody who had the same thing happen or a similar thing happen, they put me in contact with that person. So Joel Lichner, wife died with their two daughters in the TWA plane crash. They crashed taking off I think, from Boston, and they were on their way to Paris. And so his sister lives in Colorado Springs, and she said, "Could you please call my brother?" And I did, and we talked on the phone almost every night for a year. Um, and then there was a woman whose husband and two daughters was in a boat in Lake Michigan, and the boat sank. They don't know why, you know, and all three of them drowned. Ham And I talked to her on the phone. And, you know, I don't think they know exactly, but I would say... And then I have another friend. He was walking across the street with his wife and two daughters. The four of them were walking across the street. Their daughters were in their Halloween costume. And a drunk driver hit them, killed them, and he survived. And I met with him. And I, it's a pretty amazing experience because I remember walking into meeting, meeting him in Denver and thinking, what the hell do you say to somebody who lost their whole family? And I'm like, oh my God, how many people had come to me and talked to me and had the exact same feeling? Yeah. But so, um, so, you know, not, it's not this, None of us dealt with it exactly in the same way, but I think we connected in a way that I couldn't really connect with other people. But there was also the part that I felt like I was ahead of them. And so I always felt like you can see me and you can tell that you can move forward and still continue your relationship with those people who died.
0: Yeah. So has, even before the breast cancer, even before the plane crash, has hope, has hope been a big part of your life? Yes. What's what's that, Ruta,
1: then? Well... It, part of it is, I, part of it is, I was born like that. So my mom said I came out, and I was like, "Hi." So I was just kind of wired that way, right? And then being with Joel and Adam and Seth just reinforced that—that that I didn't know I was going to fall in love with Joel. I didn't know that Joel and I were going to have these two boys. I didn't know that we were going to have this amazing. Life and relationship. So, why wouldn't I hope for that again? Why wouldn't I believe that that was going to happen again? I think, and 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 it is true. I mean, look at all the things that I've had in my life. And,
0: And what about this notion of being of service and helping other people? You know, reaching out. What am I going to say to the guy with the dead wife and the? Oh, yeah, I am that. But uh, other people would have said, no, it's too much. It'll it'll bring it all back up. No, I'm sorry. Can't he find a therapist? What is it about you that you're willing to be of service to other people?
1: I think it's more than one thing. Um, But certainly, I was raised in a home where you know, we were taught you need to have a meaningful life and you need to make a difference in the lives of others. And, you know, I have a brother who's a doctor, a brother who's a lawyer. I have a sister who had a PhD in criminology and worked with uh, victims of domestic violence. I mean, you can just see how that kind of all came about from the family. And Joel was the same way. And then I knew... From being a teacher and a principal that when you help other people, of course, that helps you. And so, and and you talk a lot about telling your story and telling your story and telling your story and telling your story because that's what helps you heal. So I think that was part of it. Um, But so much when you help, you're there for other people, it's helpful to you. So I think you know certainly I had this horrible thing happen to me and I want to make meaning out of it and how do I make meaning out of that is by talking to other people. I mean I don't know if you ever had people say this to you but I've actually had people say I was having the worst day ever and then I saw you and I thought thank god I'm not her. So I mean you know like and, and I
0: mean what? that I, yeah I mean that in the kindest most loving way. I'm so grateful I'm not you. Right. So what what I find interesting and kind of reflecting back in what you've shared, you you said, I wasn't raised in a religious family. Your religion is literally being of service to other people. Unlike many people out there who would say we are raised in a religious family, we do go to church. Your religion is being of service and helping other people. That's one of the things your parents passed down to the four of you.
1: Thank you.
0: That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. So you have a little piece of paper there. You were in the presence of a really, really powerful teacher who wrote two books. and, And that's me. And could you just read again those first couple of things that I said many, many years ago that you thought were wise?
1: Sorry, you guys. <laughs> get neck job okay you said set the intention create the vision identify and commit the focused action i mean was i not the embodiment of this
0: totally and that yeah so that's that's where i want to go with this for that man or that woman that is listening to this conversation and they're saying there is no way in hell I'm gonna create a fun, magical, miraculous life. Or who does that dude think he is? We can become radiant. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. This is what you do. You set the intention. You create and hold a vision. You take concrete, doable, measurable action steps every single day. And I'll add, and be patient, you know, be patient. Allow the universe to love you. Allow the universe to respond to you and your story. I mean, it's a perfect, perfect example of just that. You saying one year after your family vanished, hey, do you know anyone I maybe could date? Hey, that's setting the intention. That's setting the intention you had a vision for what this guy wanted that what you guy want what you want this guy to look like but my hunch is after dating this guy and this guy and this guy you thought well actually what's more important to me is how do i want to feel when i'm with this guy how do i want to feel and this six foot four dude enters your life and he's comforting and you feel happy when you're with him and you feel relaxed and you're comfortable with your feelings when you're with him and you're like, okay, yes, yes, yes. So this life doesn't just happen to us unless we're asleep. We literally co-create our life with this universe, with this G-O-D, with whatever. And I promise you, intention, vision. Action. So if you're out there thinking, no way am I ever going to have a fun, magical, miraculous life, Nancy is living proof. She's living proof. And she wrote a book and it's called Radical, Radical, Radical Survivor. I would suggest, I mean, if we ever reissue it, you are a thriver. You have done so much more than just survive. So if you had one, one parting piece of wisdom to offer the world,
1: what would it be? Well, can I steal it from you?
0: Please do.
1: One of my favorite things um, from your first book is the chapter on holding on. on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Um, that helped me so much when I read that, and I, you know, all the things that you said is this is so true. This is what I did: set the intention, create the vision, identify and commit to focused action, and hold on. You know, hold on. Don't give up. Hold on. And
0: and, and I would add. Don't buy into the myth that time alone heals all wounds. I
1: highlighted that. It's what you do with the time. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's, it's what you do with the time. We we are literally being transformed by these deaths. And that transformation is either happening on a subconscious level. You know, we're becoming angry and bitter and hopeless and isolated. And you can find those people all over Facebook. They're all over Facebook. Or we can consciously decide to be more gentle, you know, more patient, kinder, more compassionate. And I think you're a beautiful example of what is possible. Right. This is how I want to end. Um, I love, love, love what you said. The gentleman called you and said there were no survivors. And your response was, they were the most beautiful boys. They were the most beautiful boys. And I know you well enough to tell the world Those beautiful boys are a reflection of their beautiful mother. They're a reflection of their beautiful mother. Thank you, Timmy. So the book is Radical Survivor. You can get it at Amazon. We have just touched, we have just, just, just touched the content and the richness and the wisdom that you shared in that book. I look forward to the day I get to have dinner and drinks with you and that six foot four husband of yours.
1: Yes, we'll come. We're going to come to Chicago. Oh well, Wait, because you were just in Colorado. Are you coming back?
0: I am coming back.
1: Are you coming back?
0: I'm coming back in December.
1: Okay, well, if we can come find you, we'll come see you.
0: I would love, 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 are you love. That. A
1: workshop or just vacationing?
0: So, it's, <laughs> no, no, no. It's almost like you're a plant. I, this is a two-year. This is a two-year dream of mine. But I'm. I pulled together a council of advisors, so I don't have to do this all by myself. So right now, I think that there are ten of us. Um, people like um, Margo and Anna and Kim and Kirk. And I finally, finally have a program manager, Jessica. Um, and the the intention is we're going to spend a long weekend together in Colorado and we're going to plan for 2021. Really, really, really map out the year. Um, like I said, I, I, kn- I know why I came to the planet. You know, this is exactly why I came. I'm doing what I came here to do, but I can't do it alone. And when we know better, we teach. And if we don't teach, then how are the others going to know? So I really, really want to broaden that circle. However, they're coming for this amount of time, and I'm staying for this amount of time. So I have time at the end of it where I have absolutely nothing to do. So it'd be great to see you guys.
1: Okay. We're going to see you. Because we met Kirk and some yeah. of those people that we yeah. came to see. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Thank you for spending
0: your Sunday evening oh. with me. I appreciate it, Nancy.
1: Thank you for spending your Sunday evening with me. It was an absolute pleasure. And I I know hopefully everybody. <laughs> As these two books <laughs> so and you know Tom when I first heard about becoming radiant I thought I don't know I need, I need to understand that I don't know that I can become radiant and I really think I am and I want to thank you for leading me on that path you're for welcome
0: my- you're three. welcome I'm almost done with the third book
1: really Great.
0: Good. It will be out soon. All
1: right. And my, my books are signed, see?
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want a signed book, you go to TomZuba.com and That's you can order right. a signed book. All right, Nancy, tell Greg, give Greg a big hug for me. Thank you. you know. Thank you. Thank you. I'll let you love know when this is too. live.
1: Okay. Love you.
0: Okay. Love you too. Take care.